If you have your Bibles, you might turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We find ourselves this morning in nearing the end of this chapter of Philippians 3. We're looking together at verses 12 to 16, spending the bulk of our time in verse 14 of this Marvelous, this very well-known text. Just to set a little bit of the context for those of you who may be joining us for the first time this morning, or if you're like me, you forget what has come before, the Apostle Paul has just warned the people at Philippi that there are Judaizers, there are those who are in the midst who are teaching a different doctrine. They're teaching a doctrine of self-confidence, a doctrine of, of works added into the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he has warned the people of Philippi not to fall prey to this false teaching that's come into their midst. And he's reminded them in the previous section that he of all people, if anyone wants to have confidence in the flesh, he has more confidence than anyone else. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was born of the people of Israel. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's a Pharisee. He has all of this, this extensive resume, many brownie points that he could, he could add to the reason why he should be confident. And he says, I'm not confident. And the reason I'm not confident in these things, any of these works or anything of who I am, is because I have come to know the surpassing worth of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've come to know that there is nothing good that I can contribute, that I can offer to my standing with God. Only the surpassing worth of the Lord Jesus Christ is valuable enough, is powerful enough to save me and to give me a standing with God. And then at the end of that section, in verses 10 and 11 of the previous verses that we looked at together, Paul said that his desire in life is to know Christ, to share in his sufferings, to experience the power of his resurrection. And he says there at the end of verse 11, that by any means possible I might attain the resurrection from the dead. It's clear that Jesus, that Paul is thinking about Jesus' return. He's thinking about the day when Christ will open up the heavens and the clouds will be rolled back and that he will descend from those those heavens, and he will begin the resurrection of the dead, of which he is the first fruits of. Paul is thinking about that future day. He's, he's pursuing and committed to Christ now in view of that day. And then Paul, at the opening of our passage, as you can see those very few first words there in verse 12, not that I've already obtained this, Paul is saying, we've not gotten there yet. We've not gotten to the place of Jesus' return and the perfection that I know is in store for me and all true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've, I've not yet arrived at that place. Paul is, Paul is saying that 
there's still a long ways to go. He's a, he's a work in progress. Like you and like me. We've not attained yet the perfection, the glorification that will be ours in Christ Jesus when he returns. We're, we're not there yet. We're still a ways off. And then the question that Paul is sort of setting before us here in the text in verses 12 to 16 is, how should we then live? How should we then live? How should we live in this time where we're not yet at the attaining of the resurrection of the dead? We're not yet in the glorification of the perfection that is going to be ours. How should we then live? What does it look like for us to be committed to knowing Christ, to sharing in His sufferings, to experiencing the power of His resurrection? What does it look like in the meantime? And Paul says right there in verse 14, I press on towards the goal. He presses on. Now, what's it going to take for us to get to that goal? What's it going to take for you and me? What does it take for the Apostle Paul to get to that goal? That's the question I want on your heart as we approach this text of Scripture together. What does it take for us to be able to get to the goal that the Apostle Paul has to the goal that every true believer in Christ has this morning. To be glorified, perfect in the presence of Christ, rejoicing in Him for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. What's it going to take? Paul says, I press on towards that goal. Well, with that goal in mind, with that question on our hearts, let's look together here at Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. The grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we now spend a few minutes here in this, your holy word, as we consider the important truths that are presented to us regarding what it means to live the Christian life, we would ask that you would, by the power of the Holy Spirit, attend closely to us. We would ask that you would stir our hearts with affection for Christ, that you would, you would kindle the fire for Christ within us, that you would charge our will with the power of your Holy Spirit, that we might experience even now a resurrection, a revival, a renewal and of our commitment to you. Father, we pray that you would grant to us in great measure as we Consider this text together, the grace of perseverance. 
and that we would learn what it means to be faithful in pressing on towards the goal. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we look at this text together, I want to consider it in several ways with you, but I want to start by simply noting what is clear about the Apostle Paul's mind, where his mind is as he writes to the church at Philippi. He has a mind that we must have, the kind of mind that is committed to know Christ, to be willing to share in his sufferings, to experience that power of his resurrection, to continue to put one foot in front of the other until we get to the attaining of the resurrection from the dead. And Paul has a very clear presentation of his mind, the mind that he welcomes us into and calls us to this morning in Philippians chapter 3. And it's very simply this. He says, we must have a mind with unwavering focus. We must have a mind with unwavering focus. Now I know it's on your mind this morning because it's on many of our minds this day. The sadness that we have not truly begun the Major League Baseball season. The Major League Baseball season has not begun. Opening day has, has passed us because of the COVID-19. There is no baseball right now on television. I actually find myself going back and watching old games and remembering famous moments in the history of the great Chicago Cubs. Yes, this morning, even as I stand before you, you can't tell it, but I'm wearing my blue and white pinstripe socks, my Chicago Cubs socks, and I'm wearing those socks in hope, in eschatological hope, that one day we too will experience again the greatest game on the face of the earth, baseball. But of course, I'm not just saddened of the fact that Major League Baseball has not started, I'm sad for my own boys, Knox and Luke, who love baseball, who are missing right now their season. I was yesterday out in the yard throwing baseball with Luke, and we were, we were going over the fundamentals. We were remembering to get baseball ready when a ground ball comes, and we were remembering to push off when we are on the mound and come down the mound as we are throwing uh, towards uh, the, the plate. And I was, I was reminded of one of the most fundamental of all instructions in the game of baseball. It's that proverbial phrase, keep your eye on the ball. When, when you're a batter, you're standing at the plate, it doesn't matter what may be going on in your mind or going on with your arms and with your legs, if you don't keep your eye on the ball, you're not going to hit the ball. The Apostle Paul here is really giving us the exact same kind of instruction when it comes to the Christian life. You're going to have to keep an unwavering focus. He says, verse 13 and 14, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul is saying his field of vision is completely taken up with one thing. His eyes are peeled on the goal that is before him, on that finish line. He says there's only one thing to do. There's not two, there's not three, 
He's not going to allow his energies to diffuse in a lot of different directions. Maybe you feel that sometimes at home during this season of quarantine. You go into the kitchen and you're going to do something and you think, oh, but there's other things to do in the living room. And then I, oh, I've got to still work in the yard. And you find yourself wandering around rather than actually getting anything done. Paul says, we're not going to diffuse our energies in multiple directions. We're never going to be able to attain the goal if we don't keep a focused mind. Well, you say, Paul, if we need to stay focused on just this one thing, this must be some goal. This must be some really important goal. And he says it is. It is the perfection of our very nature and character that's in view. The finish line, the goal, is that we would get to the tape at the end of our lives and there would be the Lord Jesus Christ and we would be fully clothed in His righteousness. That's the bullseye of Paul's life. He wants his character. He wants his nature to be fully reflective of the character and the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. Glorification is what the Apostle Paul has in mind. It's what he has in view. The question from this text arising for all of us is, is this the goal that you have in view? As you wake up this morning and even as you approach this worship service and you sit under the Word of God this morning, is the unwavering focus of your mind that I would be presented perfect before my Lord Jesus Christ at the end of time. That I would enter into the glories of His kingdom wrapped in the righteousness of Jesus. And is it your day-to-day focus to put one foot in front of the other towards that goal? And of course, as I ask you that question, I, I know that your answer, if you're being honest with yourself, is my answer when I'm honest with myself. No, I am not unwaveringly focused on this particular goal. There's lots of things that distract me. There's lots of things in the here and now that I tend to think are more important than that eternal goal. I have to be reminded over and over again. The Apostle Peter says that he stirs us up by way of reminder because he knows That we lose sight. We begin to look at other things. We think other things are more important than the glorification, the perfection, the growing into the righteousness that has already been charged to our account. It's that righteousness that Paul says he's after. It's that finish line that he's got his eyes on. And maybe the question before you and before me this morning is, how does he keep his focus there? How does he stay centered On the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, his Lord. And here's what's very interestingly. What he teaches us in this passage is not just that we have an unwavering focus that we need in terms of mind. But notice what he says about this focus. It's tied, secondly, to a blessed forgetfulness. A blessed forgetfulness. Now, that's an odd way to say it. That's an odd thing to say. In fact, when we think of forgetfulness, we think of doing something wrong. We think of a weakness. We we think of Israel, for instance. When Moses is speaking to them in Deuteronomy chapter 4, and he's he's reminding them of all the things that God has done for them in the past, and he's, he's remembering before them, before they go into the land of Canaan, before Joshua takes them into the land of Canaan, he wants to remind them of all of the faithfulness of God. And he stirs them up to remember. He says, do you remember when he 
He brought you out of Egypt and he parted the Red Sea. Do you remember when he rained down manna from heaven and he brought forth water from a rock? Remember what it is that the Lord our God has done for us. And he's, he's urging them in that because the previous generation had forgotten. When they had gotten to that point where they were to cross over the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, they sent in those spies into the land. And the spies came back and said, no, there's no way we can take them. The Canaanites are too large. They're, they're too big. They're, they're too mighty. There, there's no way that we can, we, we can take them. And God had already promised to give them the land, but they had forgotten God. They had forgotten His redemption. And so the world looked big to them. The world looked ominous to them. There was no way that they were going to be able to persevere. That's usually what we think of when we think of forgetfulness. It's, it's the error of the people of Israel. It's our error. How even in the course of this quarantine, even in the course of the challenges of this moment in life, how often have you been forgetful? How often have you been flooded with the things of this world and you have not seen who God is and you've not been reminded of His redemption? Paul is not talking here, though, about a kind of forgetfulness of God or a forgetfulness of God's redemption in the past. He's talking about a different kind of forgetfulness, a blessed forgetfulness, a good kind or a right kind. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I press on towards the goal. Now, what is this forgetfulness? Well, I love the way one writer put it. He says, it's the kind of dwelling on the past that hinders our present effort and our future progress. It's the kind of dwelling on the past that it hinders our present effort and our future progress. Listen, we know this all too well because I know baseball is on your mind. I return to baseball for just a minute. You've probably seen that kid who has come to the plate and he's struck out. And he's sad. He, he, he drags his bat back to the dugout. He, he collapses on the, on the bench and he begins to mumble about how he's such a terrible player. He should just give up. He's a total failure. He, he, he left the, bat, the, the players on base. His, his team is down now. They're going to lose. He, he's completely, he's down in the dumps. We, we've seen that, that player. We've seen that happen. But you know what's going to happen. In an inning, he's going to be back at the plate. He's got a new opportunity. An opportunity to redeem himself, an opportunity to do, to do better. But, but as he stands there, helmet on, bat in his hands, he, he's thinking in the back of his mind, this didn't go well last time. I, I, didn't, I didn't do well last time. I, I bet, I bet the, the same thing is going to happen again. And then, sure enough, first pitch comes through, strike one, right? And he goes, yep, see, I expected it. I was just hoping for a walk, and I'm not even going to get a walk. I'm just going to strike out again, and then strike two, Right? Now, what's happening to that batter? Well, he's living in the past. He's stuck in the past. He's stuck in the failures of his past. And it's hindering his ability to press on in the present, to, to hope towards a future. He's forgotten his goal. He's, he's hindered towards uh, the steps that he needs to make in order to be successful at the plate, and his mind is leading him in a path that is towards a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. He's, he's already struck out before he stood in the batter's box. 
because he's not forgotten the past. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Paul has just been speaking about his own past. In the previous verses, he says, do you remember who I was? I was one who tried with all of the effort I could possibly muster to gain a perfection through my own efforts. And all I was doing was building a greater debt in my relationship to God. I was so zealous for my faith that I was persecuting other Christians. I stood along approvingly at Stephen's martyrdom in Acts chapter 7 and chapter 8. This was my past. I could let that past continue to flood into my future or I can forget it. I can live with the clarity of a conscience that is released in forgiveness. Knowing that those things, that past, is not my present and will not be my future. I can live with the freedom of knowing that my God has paid for all of my sins in the perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have to live in the past. Do you know one of the great struggles of the Christian life, one of the great struggles for most of us in our lives is that we have better memories for our failures than we do for God's faithfulness. We have better memories for our failures than we do for God's faithfulness. It's why maybe some of you today are saying to yourself, oh, I'm never going to overcome my temper. I'm never going to grow in my battle with lust and greed and dishonesty. Maybe you say that to yourself. Maybe that's the internal voice that you're listening to most of the time. And is it no surprise that you feel no energy to keep running? Well, how could you? You've believed a narrative of despair. You've believed that you're stronger than the faithfulness of God. You are looking primarily at yourself because you're stuck in your past Failures And the Apostle Paul says that is a recipe for a weighted and burdened life. He says, one thing I do is I forget what has gone before. I forget the past and I press on towards the future. You see, the Apostle Paul doesn't give us hope and encouragement that we can actually move forward in the Christian life until we learn the discipline of forgetting our past failures. He says, first, one thing I do, I forget what lies need to already, if you're in Christ, struck from his record, it's already struck from God's memory. He has separated your sin as far as the east is from the west. Why are you holding on to it? Why to you is it more important to continue to remember it rather than to remember the fact that he's forgiven it? Friends, live into the new identity that is yours in Christ and experience the blessed forgetfulness of being released from your past. Thirdly, the Apostle Paul says, if you can can have an unwavering mind on the goal and you can release and forget that past, you can be released into a new strenuous effort for the future. Notice he says, forgetting what lies behind, I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. Now Paul is giving us a picture, of course, of a runner here. A runner who leans forward as he, as he runs. He, he stretches himself out. That's what the word strain means. It means to stretch out. It's as if to say 
The every fiber of his being is moving towards the goal of which his mind is set upon. And he's thrown off the past that would cling to him, that would only slow him down and mire him further down. He says, I want to run in such a way as to win this race. Now the scripture, of course, gives us this picture over and over again. Maybe as I note uh, this particular reference to straining forward to what lies ahead, you think as I thought earlier today of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is the image that the scripture gives us most often of the Christian life. That we are those who are running a race. Now just, just notice, just notice the obvious. He doesn't say the Christian life is a stroll in the park. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, listen, the Christian life is about stopping and smelling the roses. Uh, the Christian life is about aimlessly uh, meandering with no sense of urgency, no real output of energy. And yet, isn't that true that some Christians, maybe many Christians, live their Christian life that way? It's almost as if they're not in a race. It's almost as if there is no prize on the line. Now, they're not that way in other areas of their life. Oh no, when it comes to their vocation, they're very concerned about jumping the hurdles in order to get ahead. Climb the rungs of the ladder. When it comes to their financial life, they're very concerned about reaching particular benchmarks to having certain figures within certain accounts. They're certainly not that way. Many of us about our physical health, we've got workout routines. We've got patterns that we go through to look a certain way, to feel a certain way. In many ways, uh, we have a sense in which we're running a race in many areas of our lives. But in the Christian life, some of us we're just coasting along. And the Apostle Paul says we should not assume that if we're coasting along, that we are going to make it to the finish line. Listen to the way Howell Jones puts it in his commentary on the book of Philippians. He says the point which Paul is making here is that the prize is not awarded before the race is completed. Don't, don't assume that the prize will be yours if you're not running to win the race. He says it's awarded to all those who finish the course. It's therefore only to be looked after when the tape has been broken and not before. You know, we learned this lesson well in that wonderful film, Chariots of Fire. I'm sure it's a favorite of a number of you. Harold Abrams and Eric Liddell, two great British runners, you may remember the moment in the movie where Liddell actually beats Abrams in a race. And Abrams is, well, he's like that batter earlier in the sermon. He's just totally down in the dumps. He, he takes a seat on the stand and he sort of has a pity party for himself. And then his girlfriend comes up and she speaks to him. And, and, he, and he says, if I can't win, I won't run. And she very wisely rejoins his comment. By saying, if you don't run, you can't win. If you don't run, you can't win. See, some of us are still so defeated in the midst of the Christian life that even in our stumbles, 
we don't see that the possibility is there for us to stumble forward. We can release those things and we can get back up and put forth that effort again. Having the energy of Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit pulsing within us. Do you know that's the language of Romans chapter 8? In Romans chapter 8, get this, the Apostle Paul says that the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit that's within you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit that dwells in you, O Christian? Then why do you despair? Why, why do you say there'll be, no, there'll be no growth, there'll be no progress? Why is it that you couldn't press on if that's the Spirit within you? There's hope and encouragement that's given here that if we run, we will win. In the midst of the perseverance, there is a power. And the power that's within us is the power of Christ himself. Do you see, when Paul labors, he says, I worked harder than any of them, he writes. But yet not I, but Christ who works within me. It's his power that's within me. Do you see, when we call on the power of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and we operate with a vision for that gospel in our hearts and our lives, we are compelled to run like the wind. We are compelled to run with strenuous effort. Why is it that we're compelled? We're compelled because of the prize. Do you see, not only do we see that we need an unwavering mind on the goal, not only do we see we need a blessed forgetfulness to release the past, not only do we see that it's going to take strenuous effort to get to the finish line, but we can see that it's all worth it because of heaven's prize. You see, no runner, at least no runner that I know of, and certainly not this runner, no runner runs without a carrot in view, some reward. Did you notice in the text how Jesus or how Paul speaks of Jesus as giving this upward calling, God in Christ Jesus giving this upward calling and he distinguishes the goal and the prize? I run towards the goal for the prize. Isn't that true? How many of us run and we finish, we get at the finish line, but we, we love the medal. We love the prize. We, we love what it is that's awarded in the moment where we cross that line. There's a prize that's in view. Paul says here there's an upward calling. Do you hear that word upward? You should think heaven. It could be translated a heavenly calling. He's been given a heavenly calling. That his focus and his effort is on knowing Christ Jesus. And where is Christ Jesus? Where well, he's in heaven. So where does Paul want to be? Heaven. He wants to be where Jesus is. Because he knows what it is that Jesus has done. And he knows the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Now, what is it that Jesus has done? Well, you see, the writer of Hebrews helps us again. You remember that text I cited just a little bit ago that we, we run the race with endurance. But we run the race with endurance, according to the writer of Hebrews, looking to Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith. Now when you hear that language, author and perfecter of your faith, I hope you hear, now wait, you mean to tell me Jesus was at the starting line? Oh yes. 
He was at the starting line. And when he says perfecter of my faith, it seems as if he's communicating that Jesus is at the finish line. That's correct. Jesus is at the finish line. And what is the author, of course, communicating to us? Well, he's communicating to us in the whole of the race of the Christian life, from its beginning all the way to the end, what is it that we are about? Looking to the prize. What is that prize? The Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we wouldn't be in this race if we didn't see Jesus. And we won't finish this race unless we see Jesus. And the prize at the end of the race is, of course, you know what it is, don't you? The prize at the end of the race is that we would see Jesus. Is that we would see Jesus. Now, the confidence that the writer of Hebrews is telling us is the confidence that Paul gives us in Romans chapter 13. When he says to us, right now through a mirror we see dimly, but one day upon Christ's return we will see him face to face. The the Jesus that you see right now dimly, you see with the eyes of faith through the pages of Scripture and often lose sight of Him. But as you catch glimpses of Him and as you see His surpassing worth and as you know the perfection and the glorification that is yours in Christ Jesus and you hear God call you, beckon you on, ringing in your ears as you run the race with endurance, you know that one day you're going to cross that finish line and you're going to collapse into the arms of Jesus and you will see Him. not with the eyes of faith but you will see him in reality in all of his glory and you with all of your glory Paul says that's what gets me running that's what causes me to forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead if Jesus is at the beginning of the race and Jesus is at the end of the race then we can rest assured that Jesus is all the way with us through the race Because truth is, my friends, Jesus has already run the race. You see, Jesus has already run the race. Paul told us earlier in the letter of Philippians, in Philippians chapter 2, that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. For the prize, Jesus endured the cross. Why? To make you his own. To give you the perfection and the glorification that you so desperately long and want for. To clean the slate of your sins and to clothe you into His perfect righteousness. He's already run the race. That's why He's at the finish line awaiting you. And it's why through the power of the Holy Spirit He runs right now inside of you. You see, the God who began the race and called you into it and the God who will catch you At the end of the race is the God that runs with you in the midst of the race. He has granted to you the Holy Spirit. Press on towards the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Run the straight race with God's grace. Lift up thine eyes and seek His face. Life with its path before us lies Christ is the way. Christ is the prize. Friends, as we continue to run the Christian life in our own day and time, as we commit ourselves to press on towards the goal, we do so looking to Jesus.
we do so looking to Jesus. Can you see him? Can can you see that he has already finished the race on your behalf? He has already won for you the perfection that will one day be yours in fullness when he comes at the resurrection of the dead. Do you see that he's already secured it? Why not run now with the power that he has invested in you through the power of the Holy Spirit towards the end that he has secured for you? Do you see, Paul doesn't run because he feels as if the salvation that he has been granted in Christ could easily be lost. No, Paul runs perseveringly towards the salvation that is already his in Christ and is certain because all he wants in life is more of the salvation that Christ has won for him. All that he wants more in life is more of the Christ who has loved him so well. Only when Christ is all that you love will Christ become all that you pursue. Friends, right now I don't know what it is that God may be calling you away from. All the distractions and the diffusings of your energy in a million different directions. All of the ways in which you've been mired in the past. I don't know all of the things that the Lord is calling you away from. But I do know this. He's calling you to himself today yet again. And by his grace we will run until there's no need for running. Until the day where the gun goes off at the finish line and the tape breaks. And we find ourselves in the arms of our Savior. Christ is the way. And Christ is the prize. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we would ask even now that you would begin to cut away from us anything that's keeping us from running this race with strenuous effort. We pray, Lord, that you would keep us from being mired in the past and caught and ensnared in sins that have been forgiven by you, of which we continue to allow plaguing our minds. We would ask, Lord, that you would give to us incredible energy, the energy of the Holy Spirit to continue to persevere, even in these days where we find hope harder to come by where we find our minds easily distracted and we find our determination to run lacking, we would ask, Lord, that you would stir us up. We would ask even today that you would meet us in these words and in the midst of this worship and that we would find ourselves with wind at our back as with every fiber of our soul we strain towards the finish line seeing the beloved face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, hear this prayer and meet us in it. We ask it in Jesus' name.